Much of it is trivia, much of it is irrelevant. Others are really a form of predictive programming, in a sense. Even exposés can be predictive programming, because the more we prattle on about something and get tied up in it, it's just not important to give people truth from the media's point of view. It's important that we get tied up in the pros and cons of the topics which they throw at us. And I try not to do that. I try to go around them and show or add to the story to get a complete picture and show you where they're going. And I'm going to go into this and read some stuff after I come back from this break. Collectivism, etc. 
all designed to bring in a planned society the way that they thought it should be run. It was simply too untidy, too untidy the way it was. But they also knew, being the big builders, the big builders of societies and worlds, you might say, realities, that no private business could possibly afford the massive projects that they wanted to bring into being. If you look into the book by H.G. Wells, and he belonged to the Fabian Society, he was given the topics in which to include in his novels to write fantastic stories about around them, to bring in possibility thinking or predictive programming, to familiarize people with the idea. But if you look at, say, for instance, The Shape of Things to Come, towards the end, and look at the black and white movie too, it's very interesting they made on that movie, um, you'll see that they had these massive building projects, planetary-wide planned. No private company, you see, could possibly go ahead, afford that. Therefore, the idea was to, was to, under the guise as for the people, they would get all the people under socialism working towards things and creating, say, water systems across their countries through their tax money. Uh, gas. First it was coal gas, massive tanks in every, outside every city and town. So the taxpayers built this up and it was all the peoples, they called it the peoples. And you didn't mind so much, well I guess they have to tax us to build the stuff that we need. Massive road projects and highways, etc. That's what they had planned a hundred years ago. Only through socialization policies could they possibly do it. But it was never intended to leave all this structure in the hands of supposedly the people. And we've seen this game down through the years where the left wing gets in and, and socializes something, collectivizes it. In other words, the government takes it over and pays for it to be either built or updated. And once that's happened, in comes the next party, the right wing, and their game is to say, oh, look, the, 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 these social things are simply not cost-effective, and, and we're going to privatize it. And they, they do this ping-pong game back and forth down through about 100 years. The left wing gets back in again, and then they update it and fix and repair it with tax money, and it's privatized once more. And this goes back and forth forever. That's how you plan big projects. And the public never really catch on to this, this con game. Even with NAFTA and GATT and so on, people don't even realize. A lot of people today live through the transfer of all the, the factories uh, to China. And they live through uh, the period where everything started to appear in the stores as made in China. And they never really consciously thought about it. The only ones who consciously thought and probably forgot afterwards were those who got laid off when the factories closed down. But the taxpayers, again, under this world socialist system, and, and we didn't know this at the time either, because it had all been done for over many, many years of incremental changes through policies and legalistic meetings of bureaucrats traveling back and forth across the world, all in secrecy, basically that the taxpayers would fund and pay for all the losses incurred to these big corporations while they moved and set up shop. And we'd also pay for any losses during the first few years once we were up and running. We're still paying today for them.
capitalism, you see. And the great thing is that the public are always punch drunk. We're kept in a punch drunk situation where information is hammered at us. Crisis after crisis comes to us. And you know, not one of these crises that they hand to us or throw at us can be solved by us independently. It's all out of our hands, which in a Pavlovian response makes us freak out or just simply sit down in the middle of the room where the cattle prod is not touching you and you, you shake and shiver. And when you're like that, you're easily led by experts. See? See, Pavlov used to shock the dog. He'd put the food in a corner. He'd go up and pat the dog. And this would go on for a week or two, and the dog would feel very comfortable and get into this particular little cell, go to its food, uh, eat the food. Along would come Pavlov, the nice man with white coat. And then, he'd, and then after about two weeks, he'd, he'd ram this uh, cattle prod into it and shock it. So next time he went in with the food, the dog wouldn't go near it. So then he'd put it in another corner. And then for another week or so, he'd, he'd pat the dog and let it eat the food every day. And then he'd chalk it there, you see, until all four corners of the room had been tried. And eventually, the dog had nowhere else to go. It was hungry. It knew if it went into any corner, it would get shot. And so it would sit in the middle and shiver. That's a breakdown. It's called a breakdown. You're trying to use logic to escape something that's harmful and there's no escape. So you simply sit there and you break down. You'll see the same situation in old clips of Vietnam where the troops were going through. Uh, where you'll see the, the peasants hunkered down, hunkered down with their hands on their heads and you'll see them literally shaking and sometimes they soil themselves. That's where you, you, there's nothing you can do to help yourself. It's, that's it. There's nothing. You can't plead. The guys can shoot you anyway. There's nowhere to run. They'll kill you for no way. You're Pavlovian. You're, in Pavlovian style, you've been shot into immobility. And these techniques are used by those who, who run the world. They use it through all psychological programs. They, through it, they do it with information as they throw all this information at you, but all global warming, all terrorist strikes, all bank crashes, all bank bailouts, all homelessness, everything they're handing to you is done by people you'll never meet. Never meet you. You'll never meet them or mix with them socially. And once in a while, you get a few of the names thrown at you, like the person in charge of the Federal Reserve this time or last time or, or to come or something. Things like that, it's all vague and distant. And most of the things happening across the world, again, are so far out of your reach that they're almost um, surrealistic. As you watch bombs getting dropped here and there, or read the occasional article about the, the, the military going into kill zones. That's what they were doing for a while through Iraq. They were told, okay, you'll target this town today, you'll kill everything that's in there. The message gets out to the rest of them, it terrifies everyone in the area. They move on to another village next week and wipe them out too. It's surrealistic. Outside of your ken. Because it's not happening to you. And you always say, well, it could never happen to us because we live in a, a really first-class civilization. That's the same mentality that allowed the Soviets, first of all, for years, to slaughter 
all the malcontents, as he called them, those who wouldn't go along with the socialist system, and then sent their advisors to Adolf Hitler at the beginning because they had such experience in wiping out vast amounts of people and disposing of them. A logistical problem. How do you dispose of so many bodies when you want to kill so many quickly? Let's get the Soviets in. And that's in the Soviet story, of course. Excellent movie to get. But I'm going to go into this in a bit more depth when I come back from this break. Much is going to alter anything. 
In other words, why are they giving you a bit of truth sometimes? What's the effect of it on you and other people? Here's a little, a little example here. Now, I've mentioned before how this whole idea of climate change, which is really global warming, they've, they've altered it in a climate change, which just means the changes in the weather, you know, which has always changed, was dreamed up by the premier think tank for futurism and futuristic policies for government. Remember, that's policies. They were given the task of finding a way, the Club of Rome, to unite the planets under a warfare scenario. That's what they say in their own book, The First Global Revolution, printed in the 90s. But the founders in it said they looked at all possible ways to get people together, and the only way that they found in the past was a wartime type of scenario, an enemy, a common enemy to fight. Because we give up our freedoms, you see, for protection. We work together to what we think is a common cause. And we're taxed to death to fight it, so there's a lot of profit to be made at the same time for those in control. And we, we do what we're told, we're very obedient. You see? You tie that in with Professor Carl Quigley, who said there are different um, functions for having a war. One is always economic, of course. And the next function is societal change. All participating countries in a, a long, drawn-out war that will have their governments expanded vastly until this new bureaucracies into every part of the social strata, over farming, over private business, over so many things. So that's a plus again for socialism, you see. They love wars. So getting back to an example of the media giving a little tidbit, and you're left, you're left really thinking, well, and this is true, this is a must-be scenario, this, this, this climate change. We're all fighting, uh, really, to save the world because we are, man is the enemy of the planet, according to the Club of Rome. So we are the enemy. And so they came up with this idea of global warming. And out of that, and it probably around the same time, or maybe even before, it could have been long before the 70s, they had to find a substitute, too, for an economy that wouldn't be there. Post-industrial, you see. Because they planned to deindustrialize the West, uh, e even during World War II. So what replaces the economy? Well, you want a world of servitude, remember, under socialism. Money is a means to an end. It's something the public must be trained to work for. And that way, too, you, uh, those controllers can tax it back from you, which is just your labor going back to them. And with that which comes back to them, they can then pay other institutions to, to work for them, and factories to work, and military-industrial complex to work for them. We all work for them, you see, because we believe in the money they give us. Guys at the top don't need money. They want our labor and our brains and our sweat. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt for Cutting Through the Matrix. Just mentioning about the big building projects and how they plan 
at the top strategies, long-term world strategies, go into the United Nations and look at their 10-year plans for different areas, 5-year plans for others, 50-year plans for others, 100-year plans for others. And then go into the Soviet system. You'll find it's a copy because that's how they started off too with their long-range plans. It's the same in the West. Why? Because you see the West and those who already ruled the West were using it and still are using it. And therefore, when you get a must-be, as I call it, a must-be scenario like a whole new economy based on hot air is going to be launched, whether we like it or not, uh, the evidence is out there. And once in a while, the media will leak a little bit to you, and you wonder why they even leak this to you, as though they're on the side of something or they're, they're standing up for the little guy that's been stepped on or a whistleblower or something like that. But generally, it's to let you know that nothing is going to stop this particular agenda. It's a must-be scenario. And as I say, it definitely is must-be when you have people like Rothschild uh, going around, personally, around along with uh, um, his favorites like Mr. Maurice Strong to the environment meetings, talking about the necessity of setting up world banks, new world banks, under all subcategories that will bank through his own private bank in Switzerland to save the world. And carbon credits will go through his bank. Do you know how much he's going to make overnight to transfer billions and maybe even trillions overnight? Because that's how the big companies like Merrill Lynch were making their money for a long time. They can move their money three, four times a day and night. Who's got the highest interest rate and make billions overnight? Billions, just with interest. But is that what it's about? Is it a Rothschild that's scared of? not managing the future that he has to make sure it all goes through his bank? Or are these guys dedicated fanatics to some other organization or religion to which we know nothing or very little? But here's how the, you know it's a must-be. And this article is the Wall Street Journal. It's also out in British papers as well. It's about three different articles out on the same thing, almost uh, copies of each other. And it's July the 6th, 2009. The EPA silences a climate skeptic. That's an environment protection agency. I love how it brings me back to Socrates. Socrates said in his own day, he said, it's not enough that the intellectuals are making laws and rules on nature, meaning the early scientists with all their theories. It says that now they're trying to make laws on heaven. And this brings me back to the EP. We have an environmental protection agency. An official organization. At least that's what we think. Because everything government creates is therefore official. But it's just another priesthood, you see, for political purposes. Remember, remember what the divisors around President Wilson said. For everything that happens and is given to the public... There's always a very plausible and good reason. And then there's a real reason. Well, everything is like that, you see. It says, whatever Jim Hansen is right now, wherever he is, whatever speech the censored, and it's in quotation marks, meaning it's a bit of a con, which they know, NASA scientist is giving, perhaps you'll find time to mention the plight of Alan Carlin. Though don't count on it. Mr. Hansen, this is the guy from NASA, as everyone in the solar system knows, is the director of NASA's Goddard's Institute for Space Studies.
starting in 2004, he launched a campaign against the Bush administration, claiming it was censoring his global warming thoughts and fiddling with the science. It was all a bit of a hoot, given Mr. Hanson was already a world-famous devotee of the theory of man-made global warming, a reputation earned with some 1,400 speeches he'd given, many while working for Mr. Bush, but it gave Democrats a fun talking point once the Obama team later picked it up. It says, So much so that one of President Barack Obama's first act was a memo to agencies demanding new transparency in government and science. You see, science now is, is really the new priesthood has been elevated to the top. And we're supposed to jump at all their theories. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. There's political agendas. It says the nominee to head the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, Lisa Jackson, joined in exclaiming, as administrator, I will ensure EPA's efforts to address the environmental crisis of today are rooted in three fundamental values, science-based policies and program, adherence to the rule of law, and overwhelming transparency. In case anyone missed the point, Mr. Obama took another shot at his predecessors in April, vowing that the days of science taking a backseat to ideology are over. Now remember, the socialists said a long, long, long time ago, over a, well over 100 years ago, that eventually the scientists would be the, the, the scientific dictatorship. We'd all have to jump at whatever theory uh, they were all on board with. And that, it's all political, political agendas, though. Any theory can be stretched to the max into outer space, and they do, for political purposes. It says, except that is when it comes to Mr. Carlin, a senior analyst in the EPA's National Center for Environmental Economics, and a 35-year veteran of the agency, in March, the Obama EPA prepared to engage the global warming debate in an astounding new way by issuing an endangerment finding on carbon. It established the carbon as a pollutant, so they've not redefined it as a pollutant, even though it's always in the atmosphere, and especially carbon dioxide. And plants need it, by the way. And thereby gives the EPA the authority to write. So the EPA is now God over all the gases in the air, even the natural ones. So they've got the authority to regulate it, even if Congress doesn't act. So science, again, under socialism, is, is elevated above the people, even though they don't, the people they're supposed to represent us, the congressmen. Around this time, Mr. Carlin and a, and a colleague presented a 98-page ana analysis arguing the agency should take another look as the science behind man-made global warming is inconclusive at best. The, the analysis noted that global temperatures were on a downward trend. It pointed out problems with climate models. It highlighted new research that contradicts apocalyptic scenarios. We believe our concerns and reservations are sufficiently important to warrant a serious review of the science by the EPA, the report read. The response to Mr. Carlin was an email from his boss, Al McGartland, forbidding him, forbidding him. This is a guy that worked. Remember, Carlin worked for EPA. Forbidding him from any direct communication with anyone outside of his office with regard to his analysis. It wasn't just his, remember. His team is working on this. When Mr. Carlin tried again to disseminate his analysis, Mr. Garland, McGarland decreed, decreed the 
administrator and administration have decided to move forward on endangerment, and your comments do not help the legal or policy case. So it's a policy case for this decision. A policy case for the decision. I can, I can only see one impact of your comments, given where we are in the process, and that would be a very negative impact on our office, meaning the project. Mr. McGarland blasted yet another email. It says, with endangerment finding nearly final, you need to move on the other issues and subjects. I don't want you to spend any additional EPA time on climate change. No papers, no research, at least until we see what EPA is going to do with climate ideology. Nope, not here, just as science focus says, honest. The emails were unearthed by the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Republican officials are calling for investigation. House Energy Committee Ranking Member Joe Barton sent a letter with pointed questions to Mrs. Jackson, which she's yet to answer. But the EPA has issued defensive statements claiming Mr. Carlin wasn't ignored. But there's no way of getting rounds that the Obama administration has flouted its own promises of transparency. There's no transparency because this is a policy, as I say, that at least one organization, one big think tank, came up with back in the 1970s in the, the first global revolution, the book written by the founders of the Club of Rome. They can't change their plans, you see. Even if we're up to our eyeballs in snow, it's going to be climate change, global warming. You see, and carbon. Because that's going to be the new means of controlling us for who knows when. Remember, the whole idea is to get into a world of servitude. And Huxley, Aldo Huxley, the brother of Julian Huxley, both trained uh, from the same sources in his speech at Berkeley, said that he couldn't see a reason, any reason why, given the sciences at their command, massive psychology, drugs if need be, pharmacology, tech, different techniques, he says he didn't see any, way, any reason why the public would not come to love their servitude. What are we getting now? Oh, a world of service. Voluntary, mandatory service. You think it's all coincidence? Do you? Go into socialism and study the ideology of socialism and do it from about the 1800s onwards. You'll start to catch on. They will have never left the great plan the great work and unfortunately they're quite correct in, in many ways many people will love or come to love their servitude they will there's so many organizations set up on this pyramid socialist structure private organizations too from the boy scouts all on this trained them for this and schools trained them for this we're all in it together and the hierarchy is somehow official and always right. You simply obey. You see? The masters. And the masters always know best. The fastest way to get it done was a revolution. And that was called bringing in communism through revolution. And Stalin and Lenin before him said that, that communism was only socialism in a hurry. And it's true, Fabian socialism was to take place over 50 to 100 years. And that was the best way, they say, because gradual infiltration plus 
indoctrination of the public to accept socialism intergenerationally would have a lasting effect. In fact, the people wouldn't notice it. You can notice a revolution. You know they've been taken over. You know who the bosses are. When it's done intergenerationally, you'll think it's always been this way. It's quite a psychological trick. works very well. But yeah, communism wasn't just socialism in a hurry. I think quite, that's why they picked Russia, because they're Russian. If you get my pun. But anyway, I'll go to the callers now, and there's, there's um, Kyle from Connecticut there. Are you there, Kyle? Hi, Alan. Hi. Yeah, they are Russian. That's right. <laughs> I recommend everybody go to your site and download that uh, Huxley talk at Berkeley. Yes, it's a non your book. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you don't plug yourself at the end of the show. Oh, that's right. I'm always carried away on some topic. Yeah. But you're, you're really on a roll, just like them. Uh, each show's getting better. And the predictive programming, you know, I notice more and more of it every day. I remember those movies, uh, Biodome. Mm-hmm. Or those, you remember that? Yeah. And now they're talking about uh, cities under domes. Yes. And as I say, too, they, they had, they had uh, books out back in the... Uh, the 50s and or magazine articles in the 50s and 60s. I, I think I put them up, some links up uh, about about um, Buckminster Fuller, uh, his ideas on dome cities, and it was pushed from the top. And I, I even met some uh, a lord, a British lord, who is also an, an architect, who also was, owns hundreds of companies throughout the states and the U.S., uh, uh, Canada, and Britain. And uh, he showed me his drawings of uh, at least Toronto and other ones too, with a big dome over it. It's a much smaller Toronto. Uh, and I, I asked him why. He says, well, he says, when this is up, it will be a much smaller Toronto. And all the, all the traffic, he says, will be underground. It'll be, it'll be all done by tube stations and so on. No, no, no private vehicles. Yeah. And that was about 80, 80, um, 82 or 83. Yeah, and it's like um, they uh, they couldn't pull off the whole uh, War of the Worlds thing with a threat from outer space and UFOs and crop circles. That's right. So this uh, global warming thing has to work. It's the last resort. Yes, and I, I'm not kidding you. Uh, these guys will, will, will be ruthless to push it through, that nothing's going to stop them, because that is to become the new economy, and we all become slaves, basically working to save the world, the planet, and and eventually everything's taxed from you until the state is issuing you your credits or, or whatever they give you as a substitute for money. Yeah, and their slogan, you're either with us or against us. Yes, and they're already, they've got brainwashed youngsters and ready for new armies, green armies to save the world and enslaved to save the world and Mother Nature and all the rest of it. Yeah. But I always think back to what... what, um, what um, George Orwell said, he says, some are more equal than others than others in such utopias. And, of course, that's just it. Uh, we're not all going to be the same, uh, just like communism. There'll be this hierarchy who live in luxury and have all, all the benefits and all the food and they'll get their coffee. Well, we can't get that kind of stuff anymore. Uh, some are more equal than others in such utopias. That, that's always going to be the truth. Yeah, and there's always a double meaning between between everything. You know, they used to call them secret police, and now they call them security police. And yes. they walk around with their shirts on, and Amtrak has their own police. Uh, mm-hmm. The 
the the state park rangers are now environmental police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and uh, park rangers now are, are fully armed and, and dressed in black and, and uh, uh, could get pulled off, in fact, for, for any war if they'd be. They're all trained for it now, so, I mean, they're all interchangeable. That's a multi-jurisdictional task force that was set up years ago where they allow police and different organizations to all work together in the military, then go back to their units, you know. The blockheads. Yeah. <laughs> Very level-headed. Yes. Yes, they're all there. We found it a little square, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Alan. Right. Yeah, thanks for calling. And there's Dave from Arizona. Are you there, Dave? Hello, Dave. Uh, yes. Uh, question on Albert Pike, if I could. Yeah. Albert Pike wrote a letter to a uh, Italian Freemason named Mazzini. Uh, yeah, it said that he trained them, in fact, you know, and that Mazzini took over from him. Remember, too, that Pike also was involved with the World Revolutionary Party that eventually became the Communist Party. Right. Under, uh, yeah. The question was, he talked about three world wars. And he, yeah, yeah. and he said that at the end of the Third World War, which, interesting, dealt with Islam and terrorism, mm-hmm. that it would be, at the end of the war, would be the end of... Um, atheism and Christianity. Mm-hmm. Now, he said the pure doctrine of Luciferian would come into view. Is that Satanism? It's above even Satanism, uh, and I'll come back after this break and try to do a little bit on it. It's not much time. We'll try and touch on it. Hold on. through the matrix uh, with a, a question to see if, if Luciferianism is the same as Satanism. And you've got to understand that the, the concept of both is a dialectic because, of course, back in ancient Egypt, they had, it really worked out well. Uh, they used the sun god, Ra, and sometimes they said the hidden god behind all of that that you could see. They used symbols for what you could see. And the sun represented lights, of course, and Horus was the offspring uh, of of uh, of uh, Osiris, and so he, the, the offspring is often called the son of or the son of um, light, the light bringer, or, or the morning stars. Another term they use for it as well in other writings. But in Jewish or Hebrew uh, religion or, or mythology, Satan worked for God. But he was sent out uh, like a, a prosecutor to tempt you and, and then like a sting operation and then, and then report you. He that's why he was an angel, right? Uh, that's right. Now, Lucifer, on the other hand, supposedly was, was, was a creation of the deity that literally did rebel, uh, believing that he had superior intellect and he had the right to be God himself. And the boast of Satan was that he would rise higher than all the gods that had ever been. Uh, through his pure intellect and the understanding of nature, which really means the breaking down things into science, understanding science. Pure intellect. So Lucifer uh, is always a symbol of masonry or theosophy or the the, the previous um, names that all the same movements have had down through the ages for pure intellect. Pure intellect. Above all the darkness, the profane, uh, means those who live in the darkness, they're base people, they have little understanding, and so they're in darkness, they're not in the knowing, 
So uh, the Sumerian is just the sun? Uh, it, it, it's a symbol only uh, for, for these top people of pure logic, intellects, and intellect combined. Um, that's why they use that, that symbol of the light. The light has always symbolized understanding. Uh, and therefore, those who understand, they believe, have the right, uh, are gods. What is a god? Break down what a god is. A god is someone with incredible power over others. You rise to the top through cunning and skill, even Darwinism, uh, to the top. So you've you're proven, you're proven you are an ultimate survivor. You can manipulate others to get to the top and then rule them. You have the, the power then over life and death of people who gets born uh, who will not get born, who will die, how many people will die, whole nations can die. That's called raw, raw physical power. Right. Uh, you can command anything to be done physically, and it will be done. Uh, so and as you understand there's many ways of viewing a god. You can have a stone image in some tribes, and that's a god. Or you can have literally a, a combination of men who've risen to the top uh, with a massive organization backing them, who now command, they're now the captains of industry for the entire planet. Some of them uh, own the entire food supply of the world. They're, they're godlike in their powers, and they believe they're illumined because they're the only ones who are truly in on the agenda. The rest of us who are outside uh, are kind of groping in the darkness and, and going up towards the dawn, as they say, the in-between stage of, of understanding. Where they're the only ones, since they make the agenda, they give us our realities, they give us our media. They're the only ones who really do know what's going on. We're given substitutes or excuses or, as I say, um, partial truths, uh, but never the whole truth. Never the whole truth, you know. Thanks, Alan. Yep. Thanks for calling. And uh, I'm sorry to Sam in Australia and the Massachusetts. I'll try and get you the next time you call in. But from Hamish to myself and to Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.